So, good to see everybody today. Thanks for coming. My name is Mitch, and, and this is Natalie, and we're going to teach this together and go back and forth. And we we like you guys. I like you guys. You know why? Because you're you're weird. You're weird like us. You you come. A long ways away, some of you maybe from around here, but a lot of you aren't. And you came to a, a missions conference, a medical missions conference. That's just a really weird thing to do, right? Now, if, you, if you're paid to be here, that's, that's different because you can get out of your office. But I, I suspect most of you are not paid to be here, and maybe you had to pay to come, and you had to take the time and take the effort and... and and uh, expend energy and, and forego some other things because you wanted to to come here and find out about man what what might God be calling me to do or asking me to do or how about uh, this way inviting me to do to go to the world um, so we're just we're just going to tell some stories and we're going to give some ideas now. Um, and we'll, we'll save some time at the end, so if you have some questions, because questions always come up and they're a good place to jump off. You guys are kind of weird, but you're the weird of the weird people because of this topic, right? So disaster relief and crisis response and doing things like, like that, they're, they're kind of like international mission work stuff, but the hard and the exciting the, and the unpredictable. So I think we, we will get along really well. All right? So let's, let's pray and we'll get started. God, thanks for the chance to be here today. Thank you that each person comes and that you know them and you know who they are and you see them and you see their lives and you've, you've brought us all here together just so we can learn from you, we can learn from each other, we can be um, directed by your Holy Spirit, and ultimately that we can be inspired and prepared for the things you have for us. We know that you have good things for us. You have purposes for our life. You have reasons for us to be a, a, alive on planet Earth at this time, and, and that that goes with you and your goodness and your kingdom and your love for people, your love for the nations, your love for the individual. So we just we welcome you here, Holy Spirit, to help us in this process. May may we get a hold of something that's important and useful, and may may we say some things that you've taught us that, that these guys can hold on to and go and teach others and, and serve better in your name. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so there, that's who we are, and that's where we are. Thanks for coming. So here's, here's the plan for the session. We are not going to give you a how-to with a checklist about how to do a great disaster team response, all right? We don't have checklists for buy this and buy this and, and go to this place and don't do this, and here's all the things you need to know so you can go out and, and do something great. But it's going to be more about how should we do this, and what should we do, and why should we do it, and maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe, maybe by the time we get, get through this, you say, yeah, that's, that's a really bad idea. I don't think we should do it. But we're going to talk about those kind of generalities. Most of it is, is out of things we've been taught by other people and, and things that we've learned from our own experiences. So I'm going to ask Dr. Schaller to introduce herself a little bit. I think... I think it's really important for you to know a little bit about who the people are that are talking, okay? We just happen to be up here with the mics right now, and if you know a little bit more about us and a little bit more about our story, maybe maybe it'll help it fit together. So, go ahead, Natalie. I'm Dr. Natalie Schaller, and I grew up in Minnesota, like Dr. Donick. Um, I did my undergrad training in Minnesota, and then medical school training in Kansas City, and then residency with in his, in his, in his image in Tulsa, Oklahoma, trained under some of the best 
Papa Crouch back there and Dr. Dunning. Um, so during my, my training, um, I was able to travel to places like Afghanistan, Nepal. I've done some short-term trips to Kenya, Malawi, Africa, and then most recently to Ukraine. So it's a joy to be with you today and just get to share a little bit about how God has led me on those journeys. And you're married to? Oh, yes. I'm married to Bob Schaller, and he is a teacher in our small town in rural Iowa. We're in Storm Lake, Iowa. He teaches ESL, and I have two adorable children. Grant is 10, and Avalon is 8. And Dr. Schaller just went on this summer on a trip to Ukraine, and she's going to share a little bit more about that. And I just think it's exciting because there's a lot of reasons to do things, and there's a lot of reasons not to do it. And there's things that push you in the direction, and there's things that will push you or hinder you from doing some things. So here's a young mom, a doctor, got little kids, got a husband, and she had a great time this summer in Ukraine. So here's a few places we've been. For myself, the very first time that I went anywhere was to Goma Zaire in the middle of the, the refugee camp there in Goma, and it was a result of the genocide that was happening in Rwanda. About a million people were killed, and literally, we were driving around, and people were falling down, and they were bulldozing bodies into mountains of lava, and it was, it was horrible. Um, it was a fast trip. I, at that time, was married with four little kids, and and my wife said, maybe you better go help those people. And I said, what are you talking about? Um, she said, they need help. Didn't you see the pictures on TV? So I had this argument with God, and my argument was real quick. And I'll make it short, but one was, I'm not the guy. All right? I'm, I'm just not that guy. And, and the response I got was, well, if, if it's not you, who, who should I call? Oh. All right. So then I pulled out my, my second good argument. We like, I like to do this. I don't know if y'all ever argue with God, but I do a little bit. It's like, well, I'm not ready for this yet. I need more training. I need more preparation. I'm, you know, I'm not a, a SEAL or a Green Beret or a military guy or an ER surgeon. And it came back very clear. No, you are ready. You've been preparing your entire life for this deal. Are you willing? Oh, man, it's on me again, right? Then I pulled out my ace in the hole, which was, but I've got a beautiful young wife, and I've got four awesome little kids, and what about them? And it was like he said, yeah, I know. I gave her to you. I gave them to you. And if you don't come back, because it was a pretty crazy deal, if you don't come back, I'll be a, a husband to your wife, and I'll be a father to your children. Yeah. But I'll take care of you. Will you obey me? Let's go. That's something you got to deal with when you go into some of these situations because often they are uncontrolled and they're dangerous and they're unpredictable and they're a perfect place for God to make His glory known. So that's how we started. Yeah. We went into Indonesia after the tsunami. That was crazy. There was 300,000 people that died in that tsunami. We went up north. It was a place where no Christians were allowed and no Westerners were allowed. It was completely under control of Sharia law. And, and, and there was a billboard that said, this place is co controlled by Sharia law. Please uh, watch what you do. And it's like, I don't even know the laws. I'm in trouble. We can't go here. And they said, no, because you're medical people, you have medications, and we have great need, you're welcome. So in we went with all the Indonesian believers. And they ended up planting churches in that place nobody else could ever go. Amazing. Only God could plan that kind of stuff. We went into Kurdistan, which is northern Iraq. And my friend called me who worked in that area. And he said, would you come with us and take a medical team? And I said, um, I don't know. Maybe. And he said, I said, is it safe there? And he said, well, for that part of the world, it's relatively safe. <laughs> nice one. And I said instantly, that sounds like going to the coolest part of hell. And he said, yeah, it's, that, that's maybe right. I said, well, let's go. And when we landed, we had to circle like this in the airplane, because you couldn't come in on a glide path because the bad guys were out there with their rockets. So we circled in. It was a very interesting approach. Boom. We landed, took care of Syrian refugees. 
an amazing opportunity if many came to Jesus. Amen. Where else did we go? Haiti. Many of you know about Haiti right here in this hemisphere. Earthquakes, terrible things. Really difficult, needy place. Yeah, we'll keep going through. Went to northern Pakistan. Same kind of thing. A hundred thousand people were killed by these earthquakes. And, and we were driving north. I didn't know it because, you know, I get a little disoriented. You just land and try to help people. Now, we always had people helping us. And we drove by this big gate. And I said, what's that gate? And they said, no Westerners or Christians can go north of that gate. And I said, well, we just broke the law then. No, it's okay, because there's tremendous need, and you are medical people, and you have medical supplies. And we ended up throwing up a tarp and doing a camp right across the street from an outlawed terrorist camp. And they walked across the street for medical care. Could have never planned this. It wasn't a street. It was a gravel road. And they wanted help, and when we said, would you like us to pray, they said, yes, please pray, but you must pray in the name of Jesus. I said, why is that? He said, we have found out that only prayers in the name of Esau get answered. So could you please do that? Yeah, we'll do that. I mean, it's just ridiculous some of the things that God has done and organized that there's no way we could plan out. Here's another picture in Pakistan. I got to go in a military helicopter to an abandoned uh, village. I mean, you get to do fun stuff. You can see that guy right behind me. He's like my best friend, I think. I'm not sure if he was... He was wondering what I was handing out. Um, Afghanistan, we, we went there. We lived with the people, sat with the people in, that were just internally displaced in their own country. You can never sit and talk with people except when they're in tremendous need and you come with the love of God. We were able to do that. Turkey, this is way in eastern Turkey. Maybe you heard about these tribes, but they, they were hated by everybody. ISIS was killing them. They're called the Yazidis. And they told us, we didn't think that Jesus loved the Yazidis. There were stories of women jumping off the cliffs with their own children, committing suicide rather than be taken captive by the ISIS soldiers. And then they said, we didn't know Jesus loved the Yazidis, but now we know that he does because you've come. Can we be like you? Said, yeah, you can be like us because God loves everybody. So that was, that was Turkey. Just a couple more here. Nepal, huge earthquake. That was the most scared I've ever been in my life was in Nepal because the roads are terrible in Nepal, but it's beautiful. But then when the earthquake comes and wipes out the roads and, and there's, there's these huge fractures everywhere. I mean, we're driving in these big buses and one of the wheels of the bus is hanging over the edge and I'm sitting there, I'm looking down and it's like three, four hundred yards down. It's a long ways and I was scared. It's like, what am I going to tell the spouses and the parents of these young doctors that joined the team? I said, I can't tell them anything. I'll be dead too. So somebody else will have to take care of this. But God took us to that place and the villages, and they had been persecuting the pastor and beating him in the village. And we were able to come along beside the pastor in front of all the village people and say, we're here because of this man who you are treating this way, who you've been beating and torturing and treating so horribly, and they've been burned down the church, we found out. He said, we've come because he invited us to come because he loves you and he asked us to help you. Incredible reconciliation. They said, well, then we need to rebuild the church. Who can plan anything like that but God? All right, so here we go. And most recently, um, Dr. Schaller in Ukraine. And Natalie, maybe you can talk about that a little bit, what that was like and then... Yeah. Why you went there, yeah. We were able to join up with a team from In His Image, and we set up sort of pop-up clinics in, in different locations. We were in the far western portion of Ukraine in the spring of 2022, just a couple months after the war had started. And so we were able to serve internally displaced people, um, a lot of women and children who had fled to western Ukraine as their husbands and sons and brothers and uncles were on the front lines. 
fighting. So it's really a precious opportunity to serve them and to just be with them in that moment, to weep with them, to pray with them, and to provide basic medical needs. And we are also able to bring in quite a few medical supplies um, that were then brought to the front lines where, where the war is still being fought. So. Great. Awesome. All right. So what's a disaster? An event causing widespread chaos, destruction, and distress, which overwhelms the ability of the local population to deal with it, a complex humanitarian catastrophe. So we've, we've gone to more undeveloped or developing type countries where often the healthcare is very poor, and then when something like this happens, whether it's military and politically motivated, or more of a natural disaster, an earthquake, or a hurricane, something like that, that really, really bad system that isn't working good anyway becomes overwhelmed with the needs that, that, that show up. That's what we're talking about. So, here's a, here's a bit of a, a question. we got to figure this out. Why, why are we going to go? And there's a lot of good reasons to go, and there's some bad reasons to go. Um, the Great Commission... We talked about that. Go and make disciples. Man, this... Now, some would say, is it a really a disciple-making opportunity? Well, we'll have to figure that out. The Great Commandments. These, these words are in red because Jesus said them, right? I have read in my Bible the things that Jesus said. So the Great Commission, He told us, go and make disciples. And then He also said when they asked Him, you know, what's the Great Commandment? Love God with all you've got. Everything that's in you, everything in your power, just love, love the Lord your God, surrender to Him. And then love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And then who's our neighbor? Well, we, we know about that. It's everybody. It's everybody, but especially in this situation, there may be those who are in need, those who are hurt, those who are sick, those who are suffering, those who are desperate, those who nobody else is willing to care about. So we'll start with the end in mind. And by that I mean, we ought to ask the why, not just the what. I'm really big on this, and I think it's really important for life in general. What is it we're trying to accomplish? Do we know what our goal is? Do we know what our target is? Because it is possible to work really hard, or to run really hard, or to ride your bike really hard, or to do lots of stuff really hard, but if you don't know what the target is, you don't know what the goal is, you don't know what the purpose is. For me, I, train, I get to train resident doctors, and I, I just love that amazing opportunity. But if I don't have a goal, I can work really hard, and, and I don't know if I ever get it. My goal is that at the end of residency, they're really competent, really mature, highly skilled men and women that are ready to go out independently and do whatever God has called them to do. That's my goal. Now I know what to do along the way. But in this case, too, you need, what's the reason for doing it? Because you can work really hard if you don't have a goal and never accomplish it. Some of the wrong reasons to go, so just some things to think about and self-evaluate if you feel God is leading you to go, um, to make sure you're not going for just the attention or recognition not to go out of guilt or obligation, um, the need. That's sort of a tricky one because obviously you're going to feel called if there is a need. Um, but there's all sorts of needs in the world. So trying to really hear from, from God and listen to the Holy Spirit, what is the need that God is calling you to step into and to fulfill in that moment, in that season? Um, don't go for the adventure. That would not be the right reason. Or because of personal fulfillment and growth. Those would be selfish reasons, right? So we want this to be a spirit-led um, endeavor, a step of faith, something that God is truly asking um, any of us to do. It's really important. When the first time we went to Indonesia, some of the local workers got really upset at us. And they said, you people from faith-based organizations are here to take advantage of the suffering of these people and convert them to your religion. And it really caught me off guard. I was like, wow. Um, and then we had this conversation, and I said, you know, that's not really true. We've come because we've seen their pain. We've seen their suffering. We had things that we could uh, share to help. We've come because God loves people, 
and we love them, and we're just here to share the love. And, I, and then I said, why are you here? And often they've come for a lot of these reasons. I feel good when I help people. Great pictures, get out of the office. Uh, people will think I'm a wonderful person. We have to be really careful about what drives us and motivates us. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's some things we got to overcome. You can just load them up. It's really expensive. I think we spend about a thousand bucks a week for a just not very nice vehicle. Why? Because everybody's buying up the vehicles. You can't get great plane tickets if you leave in 72 hours, right? Uh, there's a <clears throat> so there's a cost just to purchase things. Uh, to buy supplies and, and get out. If you have a job, there might be a cost to being out of the office for a couple weeks. So there's there's a financial cost that is really there. It's really inconvenient. Um, if you can plan six months ahead, it helps. But if you want to be able to say, we need to go in 72 hours or we need to go in seven days, that's really inconvenient. There may be a ball game, there may be a birthday party, you know, there might be a vacation that's planned, and all of a sudden, there's a need. One of my friends who was an OBGYN chairman, um, really funny guy, good guy, but I don't think he was a believer, but he heard we were doing these trips, and he said, Hey, Mitch, one of these days I want to go on one of those blankety-blank disaster trips with you. And he didn't say blankety-blank. And he said, But I need about six weeks' notice. <laughs> I said... Jim, that is so great. I'll, I'll be in touch with you. And, and then I said, no, I probably won't. Uh, no, I mean, he wasn't a good guy to do that thing, but it's inconvenient, and it puts everybody off, not just the person going, but everybody that you're responsible for can really cause a lot of trouble. Some people might have negative opinions. Natalie, you mentioned to me about the opinions of people about you doing something that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, my, my parents were not a fan of me deciding to go to Ukraine with two small children and a husband at home. But, um, yeah, just really felt led by the Lord to go and felt that the risk um, of that situation that I was stepping into was one that God was asking me to take. So, you know, ultimately listening to the Lord and um, my husband also had peace about it. So um, so thankful for that opportunity. But, yes, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big one. One of our board members said, great, Dunnick. He didn't use my first name. Great, Dunnick. You're going to go over there and die. Then who's going to take care of this deal? It's like, I, you know, I was, well, I had to decide, is, is this a, a spirit-led counsel or is this just a reaction of a logical businessman? Which it was. And he said, but I won't tell you when to go, but you better have a plan if, if you die. Okay. Yeah, there's great people here and we're going to go. Security and safety issues, that's real. When we're in Pakistan, all of a sudden all the, our, our, our brothers who were helping us out and providing logistical help, they came back. And they had gone in with a bunch of money to get food, and they came back empty-handed. What happened? Well, um, we got held up on the way back. And what happened? Well, they just pulled out the gun and said, give them the food. So you gave them food, and we're fasting tonight, right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I said, good, good. That's a good deal. Uh, somebody asked once about taking weapons and stuff. We've never taken weapons. And our opinion is, one, God's going to protect us. But two, if you show up in a country with a bunch of weapons to try to help them, that's, I just don't think it's a good idea. Uh, it, it can cause more trouble than good. But safety and security is... Uh, big deal. And then this last one, inappropriate for ministry. It could be so crazy and so chaotic that we don't get down to the, the nitty-gritty important stuff of praying with people and ministering to them. That's a real possibility. But maybe the work is the ministry. And maybe somebody will come behind you. But it's worth thinking about as you're evaluating all these things. Oh, lack of training. Uh, I covered that. You're not ready, so don't worry about it. Okay. No, you are. You're plenty ready. Uh, you, my friend's a neurosurgeon. I told him, he said, do you want me to go on one of those trips with you? I said, great, just write a check. Uh, stay home, pray. You're, you would be quite worthless in that setting. You know? And he would. He's a great doctor. I send patients to him all the time. But to go out and do a field, it's a lot of first aid and EMT stuff and, you know, 
no lab, no x-ray, he would be quite worthless. Yeah, so I told him to write a big check. He said, good, that, that's a great answer. All right, here's some good reasons to go. So some good reasons to go. Um, of course, to meet the tre- tremendous need, if that's what God is calling you to step into in that space and time. Um, of course, access to closed places. If you bring a skill, um, such as being trained in the medical field, right, you can get in there and you can show God's love and you have the opportunity to pray with people and share the gospel um, like others may not have that opportunity. So um, another good reason would be to support the local church there and long-term workers. So um, I know just outside of like disaster relief, we've gone and supported um, a few of our good friends who are on the mission field during times when they had fellow missionaries that were on sabbatical and they just needed extra hands hands on the mission field. So we, we've been a part of that and that's been really special and that's, that, that encourages them in their long-term work and it also helps bring in other people um, if you're able to do outreach clinics and that sort of thing. Um, another, of course, fantastic reason is because we've been given much, right? If we're here in America, we have so much wealth and um, just opportunity training um, time. So to be able to go and share that with people who need it the most. And then finally, um, to be present. So if, it, if not us, then who, who will go in those moments? Yeah, that's great. I, I've talked to missionaries before, and, and sometimes... And I've, I've been missionary. We lived in Africa as a family. We lived in Afghanistan. You know, sometimes teams coming is a, a real pain. <laughs> like, they actually make more work for the people that are living there and doing it. And they cause more trouble. So you don't want to be one of those people. Right. What you want to do is say, how can we help? What can we do? How can we love you? What do you need? And then you go home and the local people say, wow, these people who live with us, they really love us. Like we talked about there in Nepal. So you can do it right. There needs to be follow-up. So keys for success. Number one, we've mentioned it. You're going to hear it a lot. We need to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. There is need everywhere. What should we do? There's trouble everywhere. Where should I go? How do we keep our hearts compassionate to the needs of people and the suffering of people, but then go by the leading of the Spirit of God? We know Jesus did that, right? I mean, there were times the disciples were looking for Him. There's more work to be done here. And He said, no, it's time to go. We're off to another place because the Spirit of God was in Him and led Him and directed Him. And He said, whatever I I do is what I see the Father do. The things I say is what I, I hear my Father say. So... Learning that, and it's really important in these kinds of situations, because, as we'll talk about a little bit more, sometimes they're chaotic, sometimes they're uncertain, sometimes you don't know what to do. When I was praying about going to Kurdistan, I got a call from a U.S. congressman. Now, here's, here's a good clue. Write this down. Don't answer your phone if it doesn't have caller ID. You know how it rings and it's like unidentified? Don't answer those, but I've done it a couple times and it's really changed the course of my life, so I guess it was right. I answer and he tells me who it is. He says, I'm, I'm in the U.S. congressman. I was in the U.S. military. I was in the Middle East. I hear you're going to northern Iraq. It's a bad idea. I said, yes, sir. And, uh, and he said, we cannot help you if you get in trouble. And I said, thank you, sir. And he said, you can send us a list of the names of people going, but I really, really discourage you from going. In fact, I walked out of church tonight to call you. I had never met the guy before. But I found out later, one of my other friends, who I thought was my friend, who was a friend of his. Anyway, this went on for half an hour. And he said, and you're not taking any women, right? And I said, well, yeah, our, our daughter's planning to go on the trip. That's a bad idea. They're kidnapping women. Okay. So I went home and I told my wife about the call. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I'm willing to go, but I'm good with staying because it takes a lot of time and effort and energy. And if we're not supposed to go, and that's what God's saying, that's fine. Well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I guess I'll pray. <laughs> we better pray. And I just prayed. And I said, Lord, I, I, I'm willing. I'm yours. But if this isn't the time and the place, that's that's fine. And I went to bed. And when you do what, what we do as family doctors, you tend to really sleep really good. And you just, boom, head hits a pillow, you're gone. 
Um, I think that's from delivering babies in the middle of the night for years. You're done and you're out of there. Two in the morning, I woke up, boom, and this song was going in my head. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord. Over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, and I'll be what you want me to be. And I sat up, wide awake, and I just remember going, that was fourth grade. I was ten years old. I haven't heard that song since then. Is that you? Holy Spirit, is that you? And I had just this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And like, you asked me, now I told you what to do. My wife's like, what are you doing? You're awake. I said, I explained it to her. And she said, well, you better lay down and go to sleep. It sounds like a big day tomorrow. <laughs> so we went and it was good and God blessed and he led. But the, and that's just one example for me, and that's never happened before, but I'm telling you, I believe God does speak, and we can hear His voice and know Him, and, and it's so important even to learn how to hear His voice, especially in these kind of chaotic, uncertain situations. All right, let's go. Okay, I'm going to talk about this one, then Dr. Charles is going to talk about the next one. You need the right team. And the leader, the job of the leader is to serve the team. Right. Did you get that? The job of the leader is to serve the team. When I'm leading the team, I just tell them, my job is to serve you and take care of you and facilitate getting you in front of people that you can love and talk to and pray with and minister to. So having the right leader is super important. It's the, it's the whole Christ-like model of servant leadership. Absolutely necessary. Now I'm going to tell you there needs to be structure. In general there should be structure, but on these teams it's really important. Amoebas don't have much structure, right? That's why they can't move very fast. They're just like going like this. And doctors are really horrible people. And healthcare people are... Nurses are better than doctors, but we're just all kind of strong, independent, intellectually minded people who think we know what to do. Amen. <laughs> See? There you go. And, and, and uh, you know, one guy said, oh, we'll just take all comers and volunteers. I said, that's, a, that's the worst thing I can imagine. That doctors are just terrible. You don't know where they're going. They all have an opinion. So you need structure on a team. This is your role. This is your responsibility. This is how things are going to work. Because sometimes in these situations, you might have to leave now. You might have to move now. So having structure is really, really important. We tend to assign different roles and responsibilities to different people. Sometimes it's medical and sometimes it's not. These are a list of types of healthcare people. My, the last one is best energetic workers. All right? Who will do anything. Play with the kids. Carry the equipment. Wash the stuff. We went to Pakistan. They didn't really want us to come, but we came anyway. Because it, it was exactly that. We don't need a bunch of doctors from America who are prima donnas. They're going to cause more trouble. So we got there and we said, okay, what do you need? We went to the hospital. Patients hadn't been bathed. They were dirty. Doctors start washing, them, washing their bodies. Give them bed baths. Clean them up. Mop the floor. Straighten out the pharmacy. Everything was a disaster. And within about six hours, it was like, we're so glad you've come. We can't believe that people from America, doctors, nurses, highly skilled intellectual people, are down there doing the work that needs to be done. So you need the kind of people that are energetic, selfless people. Structure and organization and attitude. And here's my only comment about attitude. Your attitude is up to you. Your height is not up to you. Right? Your eye color, that's chosen for you. Even your personality, that's a God-given deal. Now, we, we can refine our personalities with the grace of God. But attitude you can pick. And on a team like this, one person with a bad attitude will mess everything up. It'll pull everybody down. The attitude of the team is so important for team cohesion and for an example to the people you're going to serve. You people got along so well and you treated us just as good as you treated each other. And that's a choice we make. And that, that's so important. All right, Dr. Schaller. And you gotta be gotta be healthy. No sick people. Now, that sounds weird. 
But you might need to put on a backpack and hike 10 miles. If you run out of your medicine and, and you're going to be a detriment to the team, that's not good. If you, you need a certain degree of physical shape and certain condition. Now, we're, we're not taking only triathletes. We're not doing that one. I wouldn't qualify, right? But you need people that are healthy physically, intellectually, mentally, emotionally. Sometimes these are times that, man, you see dead bodies, you see suffering, you see people that, if somebody's really not healthy emotionally, a disaster response trip would not be a good idea. And then even spiritually prepared, strong and full of faith and holding on unto God is really important. All right. The right place. Um, let me just like So, thinking through like what is going on in the world and, and wherever it may be that's on your heart, if there's um, like a disaster or a national crisis there, um, is there a true need there? And is it, is it a need that you feel called to meet in that moment and listening to the Holy Spirit as we've been talking about? Um, is there an invitation? So, you know, something that we've found um, through the years is just, uh, do you have connections on the ground? Is there support there locally, housing, food? Are there missionaries who are already at work that you can join up with? Um, are there translators? Are there people who can help you navigate um, that country or that place that is in a disaster at that, at that time? When we went to Ukraine, we actually, I was on the second team that went through in his image, and the first team was really the scouting team, and they, they laid the groundwork for making our trip so successful. They, they went to various spots in Ukraine, and they checked out hospitals and um, different clinics, and they found sort of like what were the needs on the ground and what would work for future teams coming in. So when my team came in, we really benefited from the groundwork that was laid. We just got to go in, and we set up like five or six pop-up clinics each day in each day in different locations. We were in nurses, or excuse me, in, um, we were in factories, we were in um, like former dormitories, we were in um, different churches, and then we were able to bring the medications in with us. We sort of had an idea of what was needed on the ground, what were um, people asking for as far as medications and supplies that they, that they needed. So um, another way we were able to provide when we went into Ukraine is we hired the interpreters. So we raised funds to be able to pay our interpreters an hourly rate and support their economy coming in. So that was really special. We felt like we weren't being a drain on the people in the system there. And then lastly, can we get in and actually function? So, um, you know, you wouldn't want to go to all that work to get into a place that's in a crisis already and just sort of be this extra burden, right? None of us want to be a burden when we go to help. So thinking through all those things and planning ahead and praying about it. Yes, and then will there be the possibility of follow-up? So, you know, we've, we've touched on this a lot, but just being connected to missionaries that are on the ground and just, you know, asking God to lead you to the right people and, um, making sure there's follow-up for the interactions that you have out there. Yeah, got that. The, so the right time, um, just thinking through after a, a disaster or, or something really tragic in, in, a, in a location, in a nation. So like the initial life-saving focus. I've not been a part of like those initial days, but Dr. Dunnick has. So the, the initial rescue time is like the emergency rescue trauma care, days one through five. So it's pretty hard to get in on, on that time frame after a disaster happens. But if you're able to do it, you know, kind of thinking through what does that look like and how can you help meet those needs. Um, and then days 5 through 20, that's going to be more of the transitional focus time. So urgent, semi-urgent needs, and stabilization. And then finally, you know, after day 20, the chronic focus. So supportive, um, thinking about infrastructure issues, acute and chronic care, um, and then transition to recovery for that, that location. And I think, you know, every, everything is different. Some things are events, like an earthquake is an event, a tsunami is an event. Ukraine is a war, a famine is something that goes on for weeks and months, sometimes years. And just having an understanding of what those are, um, what things you can bring in. Yeah, the first one to five days, that's search and rescues and, and pulling people out of the rubble. There's people that are really equipped to do that and are really good at it. Probably we're not so good at that. Um, but it's the, it's the follow-up after that, that that can really make a difference when you come in and, and really can assess the situation for those who are surviving and, and what do they need, what can you do, and it's really basic stuff. It's housing and food and water and medications. 
that's the natural side. Yeah, thanks. We'll talk a little bit more about that. You can talk about that. Sure. So the right partners, this is something um, just specifically special to my heart when I went to Ukraine, was gathering support within my community. Um, the, the community I live in is sort of in this postmodern culture, and maybe some of you can attest to that and what you've seen after COVID and sort of a resistance to the gospel and truth. Um, so it was so special to reach out to the other physicians in my um, community and the nurses and people at the different clinics, and it was just really neat how God brought this effort together. I had people reach out to provide support and supplies that I never would have expected. Um, a good friend of mine who is a colleague, another physician in the community, I mean, he tracked down like a bulletproof vest for me, which I ultimately, you know, just passed on to go to the front lines. It wasn't something that I personally needed, but there's just really sweet to see like the spirit of God move among community members where I live and um, people I never would have expected to come and pray for me. I have a friend who actually is from Ukraine and she owns a local coffee shop and she came and prayed over me in Ukrainian before I left and um, I just never would have expected that sort of support. So um, just thinking about sort of the ministry opportunity you have in your own community as you go and what God might do in the lives there. Um, but yeah, raising up the right partners through, you know, your churches, colleagues, family, friends, um, national believers, long-term Christian workers in the country, um, and then other organizations, other faith-based responders, and then thinking about government and military organizations as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. You probably don't believe it as much as is real, but people know you and people see you and people are watching your life. And then when you do something like this to go serve, even the hardest and toughest people can't argue with that. They might have intellectual and philosophical arguments about faith and, you know, where did Cain go when he left, you know, that there were cities out there and all this Bible stuff. But then it's like, the testimony of your life of I just want to go help people because they're in need. That's biblical Christianity. That's like being like Jesus. And you, I think you, you should know you have no idea the impact of your life and, and what that does even in your local community. And people will help you even if they don't really get you. And it's not so important about the help. Because the stuff is God's, and God will provide. And if He calls you to do something, but when somebody help you helps you who isn't a real believer, all of a sudden you're developing a relationship, and you can follow up with those people. We have people that help us. They just care about people in the world, and they don't necessarily want to give it to the United Nations, right, or the United Way, or the Red Cross. And they go, "Oh, you're in our town, and you're going to go. Can we help you go serve those people?" And it, it affords a tremendous opportunity um, to share the gospel with people. The last one, I'll, I'll just encourage you, a little funny story. The military showed up in, in Pakistan, and this big guy was there folding his arms, and he was pretty ribbed, and obviously he was the general of the, the troops. And I'm like, this guy is going to cause us some trouble, because we've gotten in trouble a little bit in some places. And I said, what should you do? So... All of a sudden I had this idea and I walked over to him, introduced myself to him, and I, I, I squeezed his bicep. I said, wow, you are a strong man. And he was going through the translator, right? And the translator embellished it. I said, these men are so fortunate to have you as their leader. So you've got to figure some of this relationship out. And he's like, and then he got bigger and puffier more, you know. He, he didn't, and I said, what a what a good leader I know you are. I can see you're strong. How is your blood pressure? And he didn't know. I said, first we must take care of you because you're the leader. So we went in his tent, got the blood pressure cuff out, took his blood pressure, and you know, listened to my heart. I think I had my stethoscope in my ears. You know how we sometimes just do like that. It's kind of one of our tricks, but. From then on, the, the dude is our friend, right? Where can we take you, doctor? How can we help you serve these people? I said, because of you, your people are getting taken care of. Relationships are really important, and having some spirit-led wisdom and just how to get along with people is really important. All right, that's just always a funny story. Here's people packing medicines. None of these people could go, but they're like, can we help pack? Can we load your stuff up? 
It's great to have a team like that. Here's some of the common needs that you'll see when you're over there. So physical, um, of course, looking like for some of the acute things. So in the, in the initial time frame, like trauma, lacerations, some of the orthopedic needs that you might be a part of, of helping and assisting with um, infections, soft tissue, skin, um, thinking through some different things like pulmonary, respiratory. Um, we saw a lot in Ukraine of just like allergies, um, bronchitis, pneumonia, some of those things, just some of the kiddos had been going through in the spring season when we got there, and then, um, you know, just some of their chronic conditions as far as, like, treating hypertension, um, thyroid disease, that was a big one. People had to leave without the thyroid medications, and so that was sort of, like, the golden medication that we brought in. Um, and then, yeah, thinking through some of the different things, too, like ob pain syndromes, um, you know, just the whole gamut. Um, a huge one for us when we went to Ukraine was really the psychosocial and behavioral health. And so we set up, Dr. Doug referred to this earlier, but just everybody coming in with an attitude of, I can do whatever it is that God has me to do that day. So we each took turns. Um, we had like a team of five or six of us, and we would designate sort of one person a day as the, the spiritual care person. And so that person would sort of have their own table so that whenever we got into sort of a deeper conversation or discussion, we could kind of pass that patient off to that individual, and they would take over just praying and sitting with, with people who needed a little bit more help. And then the future teams, because of kind of when we went and we learned that, the, the following teams were able to bring counselors, like trained counselors, into Ukraine. So that was really special to see um, huge, huge, huge opportunity. And then spiritual, of course, um, talking to them about their hopelessness, fear, um, anxiety, depression. It's, it's real. And, and, and sometimes I think you, you might feel like, well, can we really do anything? There's so many people, there's so little time. You know where I take hope from? As I just keep reading in the Bible, Jesus, the multitudes came to him and he healed them all. Now, if, if you spend 30 minutes per patient, that's like 20 patients in a day, in a 10-hour day, right? We And talking is good, and listening is good, and interacting is good. But sometimes... A word or a touch from God can change somebody's life. And don't hesitate. We, we know that in the Bible. Jesus he was walking to one place. He stopped. He dealt with somebody. Their life was transformed. And sometimes we need to be open from that. Maybe we think, well, I, it won't work if I don't use more of my counseling skills. How about if we just go in the power of God and He touches people and He helps them? One thing we never want to do is we don't ever want to do a trip where people think these are really nice people and they're really friendly and it's so awesome. I, I want them to know they're here because of Jesus. They're here because God sent them. I don't want people to have to guess it. Now every time you go somewhere, you'll, you'll have to have wisdom for how that goes. But I'm not into do humanitarian goodism and they think... You know, Dr. Dunnick's a nice guy, and that was nice. He can, no, I want him to think, God's good. Side note, if I don't do that, and they get better, and they feel well, they may look to me and give me the glory that's intended only for the Father. I can't heal anybody. But if I tell them God sent me, and God will be here when I leave, and God is the one who will touch and heal you, then when they're better, they'll think about God, and He gets the glory. What if I steal God's glory? We don't want to do that, do we? But it's very possible if we're not bold to speak out. All right. There's Dr. Schaller, loving, loving people. All right. Right preparation. We're going to go through this fast because we're getting short on time. Spiritually mature. You know, that's a tough one. You say, well, everybody who's spiritually mature stand up. Then nobody stands up because you can't really say you are. But I'll just say, we ought to read the Bible and pray on a regular basis. That's a, that's a good place to start, right? We don't have to have all of our doctrine and theology solid. But for me, it's hard to take somebody who's not even sure of their own relationship and walk with God and salvation as a key member of a team that goes into an intense area. We need to be together. <clears throat> medical and non-medical skills, we talked about that. International cross-cultural skills. 
almost 100%, not 100%, but a disaster trip should not be your first trip out of the country. Right. <laughs> I've seen it happen. Because those first trips are hard anyway. They're just crazy. Language and food and time change and cultural norms and all that stuff. So there should be some experience in international activity before you go on a true disaster trip. <clears throat> know about the location. The way we do that, we assign somebody this. Give us a 10-page printout to read on the plane about what country are we going to and what are these people like and what's the government like and what's the money like. It's respectful to know a bit about the people that you're going to serve. I think really important. And then, um, yeah, emotionally and psychologically stable. I think I addressed that enough already. All right? Here we go. Resources. You can go through. So we've touched on this a lot already, but you know, medications, equipment, supplies, um, financial resources, of course, prayer support, ask people to pray, help them join you in this, um, housing, food, transportation, and then we've touched on this too, clinic sites, translators, security. So one of our rules is every team member has to have 10 people committed to pray for them every day while they're gone or you can't get on the plane. So well, that's really legalistic. <laughs> I don't why 10? Why not 9? I don't know. It doesn't matter, but you need people to pray. Always on mission but I think the prayer is, it's like in the top one, two, three most important things that you have people that know you, that love God, that know how to pray, and that will pray for you when you go on these things. Because it's very uncertain and chaotic, and prayer is the key to seeing God accomplish what He really wants to through us. So common pitfalls, so expectation management, right? Don't have um, the wrong expectations going in. Inadequate prayer support, boy, we really want to emphasize that for sure. Um, poor team dynamics. So just going into it, you know, being aware, of course, the enemy wants to stir up all sorts of dissension and um, ugliness, even among people that you would never expect. So just really being aware of that going in and showing tons of grace and love to your teammates. Um, communication issues going right along with that. Um, and then another pitfall, going by yourself or trying to sort of go with an individualistic attitude, right? Not being a part of the team. And these are keys to success. It's, it's kind of just repetitious. Get ready. You know how when people say when you go on mission trips, you got to be flexi flexible and then flexible and then have a good sense of humor, you know, because things are crazy. But you just got to be flexible. You're, the, the plans go out the door on a regular basis. And for, if people are control freaks, okay, everybody who's a control freak, sit down. Okay, see, that's how it is. It's, there's only two. No, we're all control freaks. Some are subtle, some are overt, but we want to know what's going on. And we have our little comfort zones. And these things, you just got to go, it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever, whenever, however, because I'm just here to serve God and serve people and, and, and be a blessing. Prayer support, again. Briefing and debriefing. Every night, we get together. What happened? What was good today? What wasn't good? What worked? What doesn't? Because some team member might have had a horrible day. That everything they tried, they just didn't see any fruit, didn't see any results, worked hard, and somebody else had some good things. Go, oh, there are some good things happening. We did see God move. There was somebody's life that was really touched. And then how are you doing personally, emotionally? Debriefing is so important. And then debriefing when you come home, sometimes people come home. It's like coming home from war. You know how we take care of soldiers when they come home from war? These are like wartime things often. We're going into tough places with tough experiences. you got to come home and you got to recover well. And that's, yeah, absolutely important. Last thing about communication, says home team. We always tell, nobody on the team can contact home. For you young people, that's like torture. Right? No, we put one person in charge. Because one time I got home and my wife says, how come you haven't called home? Tim's wife heard from him every day. Well, he was just, you know, checking in with her. No, no, that's not okay. Because everybody at home is wondering what's going on. So we have one communication person, and they either call or write for the whole team and say, 
communicate with our communication person in the States at home, and they send an email out to everybody. But if you get mixed messages, and sometimes it can get pretty hairy, especially if there's security issues, danger issues, maybe somebody got hurt, maybe there was a breakdown, you got to really control that kind of stuff. So communication can either make or break the team. All right, we're going, we're going along, but we're, we're about done here. Oh, did you hear this one yet? Yeah, yeah, that one's really important. All right. That's our contact information. Yeah, are we done? Five minutes. We did good. We got going a little faster, but it's not, don't worry about all the little details. I think it's really about just this sense. And if you are thinking, maybe, maybe this is me, I'll just tell you, you can be that person. There's a lot of people look at you and think you're crazy. There's no way ever I'm going to do anything like that. So if you're thinking about it, I just tell you, God can use you. God will use you. It's a good time now to talk to your family a little and say, hey, maybe one day I'd like to go. Or talk to your partners. I, maybe, maybe I'd like to go if this comes up. So you do some preparation. You do some some laying the groundwork. You communicate with some folks about what might come up so that when it does, but you you can do this. Somebody told me once, he said, God is a desperate employer. Now that's just terrible. Right? How can you ever say God is desperate? He said, I'll explain it like this. I believe God is desperately looking for men and women that will say yes when he calls. We know it's true biblically, right? The eyes of God go to and fro, looking around the earth, seeing who we could use. So he's desperately looking for people that will do his will, that will speak his words, that will carry water to the hungry, or, or, or to the thirsty, or food to the hungry, or, or, or just bring love and hugs to people that are desperate. So God will use you. And I see it as an incredible, not responsibility, not obligation, but an incredible privilege that God would use us and that God would take us. So so sometime, I'll just encourage you, it'll happen, and then anybody want to go and you'll be like, pick me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Pick me. And God will, He will pick you, and He'll use you, and He'll do things through you that you can't ever imagine and that you couldn't do on your own. So, questions. We've got a couple minutes for questions. Anybody have any? Yes, sir. So, Loud. How do you deal with uh, the equivalent of survival guilt? You come back and you teach a trip to Dennis Bates, you get back to the United States and it's healing. Question is survivor guilt. It's, it's a big one. I mean, why am I blessed? Why am I alive? Why am I healthy? They, but even in the community you have it. You know, somebody's spouse died and the spouse is alive. And, and it's really hard. But you know what? I think it's really hard without God. With God, we said, wait, God is faithful. My life is His. My stuff is His. Am I being a good steward of what I've been given? And, and can I go and give again? I think it's, it's worth asking and I think people who do trauma counseling and people who, who do debriefing uh, that have that insight into us, I think it's really important. We, we don't make ourselves, our intellect, our gifting. I think if, if we're, the biggest guilt would come, I, I really believe, if we know we're supposed to do something and we refuse to do it. We are where we are. We're born in this generation. We're born to the parents that we have, the life we have, we use our gifts. So I think it's this, I would say it's just this concept, God, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? And if we're, if we're obedient to go on and to move, it helps a lot. But I think it's a very real experience. Um, and if we're guilty, then we, we need to confess. If we're not guilty, because Satan will come. A lot of times, I'll just mention when people come home from things like this, is a time where you let down your guard and you relax a little. You, 
and then Satan comes in, it's something called backlash, I never knew about it, but some people a lot smarter than me knew about it, and, and backlash comes, kind of like Elijah, remember, he, he did this thing on Mount Carmel, and it was amazing, and God moved, and all the priests died and everything, and then he went and got depressed, and he's like, just kill me, I'm going to die. Well, it was a result after a tremendous move of God or experience with God, then you kind of let down. So I think it's one, we got to stay in the Word, we got to stay in prayer. We have ask, we always ask people, you got to keep praying for two weeks after the team comes home to resist some of those things that come, even condemnation um, that isn't real, but that Satan can lie to us about. That, that's some brief answers. There was one more question. Yes. Ukraine, I had that opportunity to help a really precious 
woman, and I know we have lots of stories, but just a real life one is um, she had lost her husband in the war, and her oldest son had been captured by the Russian regime, and then she and her youngest son had escaped to the far west where we were, and we were able to provide some basic medical care for her. We just wept with her and prayed with her. Um, but something that touched my heart so much was that then she turned and prayed for us and for future teams and for people to continue to come and love her people and to love Ukraine. And so I just want to share and share that, pass it on and pray for you guys as you go out, if that's okay. So, um, Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for loving us. And thank you for calling us. And just thank you for the work that you are doing in this world. And um, Father, we thank you for my brothers and sisters here at this presentation, God, and I just pray that you would continue to stir all of our hearts, Lord, to what you want in each of our lives, and that you would help us to obey, Lord, whenever you call, wherever you would lead each of us, God. And so, Lord, I just pray for a special anointing, a special spirit to be here, Lord, and I just pray that everyone here, God, that they would be blessed by this time. And Lord, just that you would continue to guide them and direct them and help them to hear your voice. Um, we continue to remember our brothers and sisters, our friends in Ukraine and in other places in the world. And God, we do just pray for your healing, Lord Jesus, and for these wars to end. Um, and that you would help us to be your ministers in those times of need. So in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.